Amen. Let me ask you something. When was the last time that you were disappointed? When was the last time life disappointed you? I, I, I ask that pretty confident that most of us are disappointed in something most of the time. Life doesn't ever quite seem to live up to our expectations. Disappointment always seems to be lurking just around the corner. Now, some disappointments are small, like this chocolate Easter bunny I have here. I'll tell you why. These have got to be the most disappointing things to do with Easter. Do you want want me to show you why? That's why. (laughs) They're hollow. I mean, couldn't you at least put, like, marshmallows in there or something? Now, I can't eat these while I'm preaching. Would you guys like some chocolate? It is still good chocolate. Here you go. Is that okay, Mom? <laughs> They're like, I'm not so sure. Don't worry. It's safe. I got it four years ago on Easter, so it's all, no. <laughs> That's one thing. There's so many things, though, that we can get disappointed in. Frankly, the human race seems very good at doing it. We can even get disappointed in good things because they're not as good as they could be. We, we buy a house, but eventually we're disappointed because it isn't big enough. Or we buy a car and we're disappointed because it's not fast enough or shiny enough. And then, of course, there's the bigger disappointments. You find a loyal friend that's been talking behind your back and you're disappointed You get married and soon you realize the person that you've committed to spending the rest of your life with is not the person you thought you were getting involved with and you're disappointed. Your kids begin to make choices that are different from the ones you taught them to make and you're disappointed. Your loved one is diagnosed with a terminal illness and they pass away way sooner than anybody would reasonably expect and it's complete agonizing disappointment. I posted on Facebook just a few days ago, and I asked people to share with me, where are you experiencing disappointment in your life right now? And several people answered, even some of you, I'm not going to give names, but I'll share just some of the answers that were shared there um, this week. One person said that they've been working out every day for almost seven months, and they're not seeing the results. They're disappointed. I was disappointed that I haven't been working out for the last seven months when I read that. But anyway, two different people shared with me that they look back on their lives over the last 10 or so years, and they had plans. They had plans that their career would be at a certain place, or they would be married. One woman had expected that she would be a mother by now, and they look back and see that those plans and those hopes and those dreams had not come to fruition yet, and they are disappointed. Another person shared that um, they're disappointed in just how evil the world is and how they've, they've prayed, and we've been praying for God to take this evil away, and despite our prayers, it's still there, and they're disappointed. There's disappointment that people shared in, in other people, <laughs> Disappointment in my weight, feeling like I'm not good enough. Disappointment that my dog died this week. Disappointment that there are character flaws that I just can't shake. I know I shouldn't do it, but I do it. There were people that were disappointed in other people that betrayed them. And then there were several who said that they were disappointed in themselves. And so I think it's safe to say that we all experience disappointment in life. And I want to ask the question this morning, what do you do 
how do you respond to disappointment? Because today's Easter, and believe it or not, I've never seen it before in the story until this year, but Easter, the story of Easter is full of disappointments. And I want to I point it out here in case you, you've never noticed before like me. Our reading today began, as Lowell read it, with these women who came back to the tomb on Easter morning to anoint the dead body of Jesus. And that might not seem unusual, even if you're not a biblical history scholar, you might reasonably expect that going to anoint a dead body is something that would be a typical custom, as, and it is. But if we look at the surrounding context, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And so I want to turn to another gospel writer, the Gospel of John, chapter 19. And I want to take you just a few days before Easter on a day that we call Good Friday, the day that Jesus died. It was right after Jesus had died on the cross. In verse 38, we read this. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly he had feared that the Jewish, he had feared the Jewish leaders. And so with Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Now Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it in spices, in the spices, in strips of linen. And this was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. Now again, this is not Easter yet. This is Good Friday. It's immediately after Jesus had died. Joseph and Nicodemus are powerful, wealthy men, and they have taken on the task of burying Jesus, giving him a proper burial, and that included 75 pounds of burial spices. And a logical question would be, is that because they're preserving the body? But Jewish tradition was not to preserve the body. Some Jews believed that nothing happened when you died. Others believed in the resurrection. But neither outcome required you to preserve the body like other cultures might have. And so why 75 pounds? Well, because this is how you would bury royalty, 75 pounds of burial spices would have cost thousands upon thousands of dollars. Jesus may have died on the cross like a common criminal, but these two men were going to make sure that he was buried like a king. And so we go back to the Gospel of Luke. What does Luke say about that day that Jesus died? Verse 55 of chapter 23. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph, and they saw the tomb, and they saw how his body was laid in it. And they went home, and they prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in accordance in obedience to the commandment. And so the women watched Jesus die, and they watched these men bury Jesus with 75 pounds of burial spices. And their first thought is, hmm, I think he needs a few more. <laughs> Let's go home and work on that this weekend. Now, now, I can't say for sure how far close they were, what they actually saw was being buried with Jesus. But you get the idea. Luke 24, verse 1, the beginning of our reading. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared. And they went to the tomb and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. There we have it right there, Easter disappointment. 
You would be disappointed if you were one of these women. You've waited days. You've prepared burial spices. You've gone early in the morning to the tomb and the body is gone. And we know that they were disappointed because if we go back to the Gospel of John, we see the the specific story of one of the women who went, Mary Magdalene. She stayed behind because she was so disappointed. She just assumed that somebody must have stolen the body of Jesus. And she stands out in the garden right outside the tomb with literal tears in her eyes because she's so caught up in the disappointment, in the grief, and the anger. And she's so caught up in those emotions that she literally sees Jesus alive and he's standing right in front of her and she doesn't even know that it's him. Look at this, verse 14. At this she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will get him back. How do you respond to disappointments? How do you respond when life disappoints you? Let me just say this. Disappointment is not a sin. And I don't want anybody to, to leave church feeling guilty about being disappointed. Now, now, if the way you respond to disappointment is, is to say, well, I'm never disappointed in anything, let me tell you, lying is a sin. <laughs> but disappointment is not a sin. Jesus even felt disappointed. He, he cried over Jerusalem before he died because they just didn't get the reason that he came. He, he was disappointed in the garden on the night he was arrested. He cried, his sweat, drips of blood came from his head because he was so stressed out. He asked the disciples, would you just stay awake and pray with me? And he was disappointed because they fell asleep. Disappointment's not a sin. Mary was disappointed Mary, like the other women, had been with Jesus this entire time. She had been faithful. She had followed him. She put her faith and trust in his hands. And then she watched those same hands be pierced by evil men. And then she watched his body be buried in a borrowed tomb with 75 pounds of burial spices. And I could just see in her response that she's saying to herself, I don't even know what to do right now. And so I'm going to go home and I'm going to make some more burial spices. And I'm going to go back to the tomb where my hope died. And I'm going to sprinkle burial spices on my hope. How do you respond when you're disappointed? And see, I, I think what's so difficult about disappointment is that we all have it, and, and I don't think any of us know what to do with it, do we? There, there's, there's really no natural, appropriate response, and so we all pick different ways of dealing with it. Some of us ignore it. We pretend it's not there. That's what the disciples did, right? The, the women went and told them that Jesus was gone from the tomb, and they didn't believe it. They ignored it. They put their head in the sand, except for Peter, Peter went back to the tomb, and I think, this is just my guess, it's because of all of the living disciples at that time, he was the most disappointed in himself. He was the most disappointed in himself. He had denied even knowing Jesus while Jesus was being killed. And so he goes and he checks out the tomb because he's thinking to himself, if this is true, if Jesus is alive, maybe there's still hope for me. So see, some of us just put our head in the sand. Some of us, like Peter, wonder. Others of us, we just keep putting burial spices on our shattered hopes 
and dreams. That's what the women came to do. That's what Mary came to do. She was sad. She was angry. She was disappointed. And it's in the midst of the depth of her disappointment and her despair that in John chapter 20, verse 16, Jesus says to her one of the most beautiful words in the whole Bible. He says to her, Mary. He calls her by name and she turns toward him. And when she hears the Lord of lords and the King of kings call her name now, she knows who he is. And she cries out to him, teacher. Mary is disappointed, and Jesus' response in the midst of her disappointment is not to give her an explanation. It isn't to show her the future. It is a very simple one. It is to call her by name. Because when she went to the tomb that day, she thought she needed to bring spices. What she didn't realize is what she really didn't need was a body to anoint. She needed a resurrection. And on Easter, Jesus came to call your name too because you need a resurrection. And you need a resurrection. And you need a resurrection. And I need a resurrection in every disappointment in life that we face. Are you disappointed in yourself this morning? You need a resurrection. Jesus is calling you like he called Mary. He is calling you by name. And when you realize that the the, the Father in heaven sent his Son to call you by name, you can't look in the mirror any longer and be disappointed in yourself when you realize that you're so valuable that God himself calls you by name, that he created you, that he has forgiven you. He has come to lay those disappointments down so that he can give you and me a resurrection when you go to a funeral of a loved one you don't need to go to be reminded that your loved one has passed away what you need to go there for is to be reminded of the hope of the resurrection after two years of pandemic and illness and death and social distancing we don't need to go back to normal normal is dead we need a resurrection We need a resurrection. What our government needs is not more Republicans or Democrats. We need a resurrection. Our government needs a resurrection. There are marriages and and relationships between children and parents that are so far beyond repair, it's as if they're dead, but they don't need to stay dead. There's hope. They need a resurrection. If you've made a mistake and you're living under the weight of guilt and shame, you don't need someone to sit next to you and tell you, oh, it's all okay. You know it's not okay. You need God to come and kill that guilt and that shame on a tree so that he can invite you into a resurrection. See, resurrection by definition means new life which means it doesn't gloss over the places in our lives that have died. Resurrection invites us to look at our disappointments, to look at our failures square in the eye, to look at death itself and say, you know what, I know death is real, I know pain is real, I know disappointments are real, I know failure is real, but because of Jesus I know they are not terminal. God is not finished yet. Because Jesus himself said on the cross, it is finished, which means death itself is finished. And three days later, he gave us, and you say it with me now, 
a resurrection. I want you to say it again. Those of you joining us online, I want you to say it so that we can hear you in the church. What did he come to give us? A resurrection. He came to give us a resurrection. Friends, how we respond in the moments of our life when everything goes right is not as much of an indication of our faith as how we respond to the disappointments. And that should challenge all of us. It certainly challenges me. Because it's in the midst of our disappointments that we need faith. An author by the name of Philip Yancey wrote a book called Disappointment with God, and he wrote this in it. He said, Faith means believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Could it be possible that God is in our disappointments just as much as he is in our victories? Prophet Isaiah wrote this about the coming Jesus. He said, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. When we're disappointed, sometimes we need to give up the old reality, the old way of doing something. And it's not because we've lost our hope, but it's because God isn't always in the business of making old things better, but he is always in the business of making old things new. See, looking in reverse, do you think Mary walked away with the resurrected Jesus in the garden and said, you know what, Jesus, I'm really glad you're alive, but what am I going to do with all these spices? (laughs) Do you think she even cared? (laughs) It's funny, but let's face it. Sometimes in our disappointments, I know this is true for me, we're more interested in making the dead smell better, aren't we? When those women went to the tomb, they didn't need to anoint Jesus' body. What they needed was every ounce of evil that put him in that grave to begin with to be defeated. And because of the resurrection, they walked away with their disappointments, no longer holding on to them the power and the defeatedness that they did before. Because when your rabbi rises from the grave, your posture to every disappointment in life changes forever. And there's three ways specifically that it changes that I want to leave you with today on Easter. The first one is this. This is the first way that Easter changes our disappointments. Our disappointments become temporary. Friends, life is hard. Disappointment is real. The prosperity gospel that suggests that when you start to follow Jesus, everything on this side of heaven just becomes easy is a false gospel. Life is difficult. But God is also doing a new thing. The real gospel tells us that he is not finished yet. That when we lose a loved one, or when we're facing the loss of our own life, we are reminded that death itself has lost its sting. It's not the end of the story. And because it's not the end of the story, every disappointment, big or small, reminds us that we were made for something bigger. C.S. Lewis said it this way, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Sometimes there's nothing on this side of heaven that we can do to satisfy our disappointments. But in those instances, it is a reminder to us that we will find satisfaction in God that is beyond anything that we could ever imagine. And that leads us to the second thing that we learn about how Easter changes our disappointments. And that is that our disappointments produce a future 
glory. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. This verse does not say that our troubles feel light and momentary at the time. There are disappointments that will not be reversed or fulfilled on this side of eternity. But the hope of God is that even in death, especially in death, there is new life and new glory. And the worst thing that can happen to you and me will not be the last thing. Which leads us to the the third way that Easter changes our disappointments. Our disappointments remind us that we have a greater hope. Every time life lets you down, it is a reminder from God to look up. Colossians chapter 3 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In glory. In future glory, where there will be no more disappointment, no more pain, no more illness, no more death, where every chocolate Easter bunny is full of chocolate, (laughs) where cemeteries and burial spices are obsolete, and where, like Mary, Jesus will call you and I by name and will wipe away every single tear from your eyes. Amen? Amen.